0: I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we summarize and confess that in Lord's Day 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where we find the following. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and theirs to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves are those also to be admitted to the lord's supper who by their confession in life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly no for then the covenant of god would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation therefore according to the command of christ and his apostles The Christian church is duty bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. So far. And after the sermon, we will sing hymn 52, the stanzas one and two. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, how's your wedding plans coming along? Are you getting stressed out about it or are you pretty much ready to celebrate? Now these are the kind of questions we will ask couples who are engaged to be married. This afternoon, however, you are being addressed with these questions. How's your wedding planning coming along? That's a question for the couple celebrating 41 years of marriage today. And if you don't know who that is, check your bulletin, not now, but later. And it is for those who are married more years than that and less years than that. And it's a question for you young children and teenagers and those who are unattached. Yes, the question is directed to all of us. Are you getting ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb? Whereas as we make our journey through life, we have reason to be excited and to celebrate. Well, we can get ourselves caught in a lot of negatives and get ourselves stressed out and we can fuss about this and that. But getting ready for the ultimate feast of all feasts should really absorb every moment we are awake. Thinking about the marriage feast of the Lamb should give us joy in our hearts, fill us with enthusiasm, and it should put an infectious smile on our face. Just as a bride will have certain events to attend prior to the actual wedding, such as bridal showers and engagement parties, We, as people of God, have our own events to attend as we prepare for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Every Lord's Supper is a milestone along the road to the wedding feast. And each celebration reminds us to stay focused on what is coming and not to get sidetracked, to keep our eyes on Him whom we love and who is precious to us, the groom. And each of us needs to get ready for the feast personally. We can't have surrogate celebrators. When you and I celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are placed before the mirror of God's Word. And the mirror doesn't answer back well, you're the fairest of them all. But says back to us, hey, you, you have a wedding to attend. Are you getting ready? You're getting married. Are you ready for the marriage feast? Now, we don't go to the Lord's Supper as those worthy of participating in the marriage feast. But we go as those who are being prepared through the work of Christ. He clothes us with wedding garments. The groom does the wedding dress shopping for the bride and purchases the most expensive dress ever. He already paid for it through his blood. We don't deserve to be part of any feast, because by nature we can be pretty nasty to the groom. We drive out the very one who invites us to the wedding and who supplies us with every blessing. We're so easily distracted. We think other things and other plans more important. We're inclined to push out of our lives those whom God invites to the marriage feast. And we only consider other people important when what they do benefits us. Our hearts can be so filled with pride. We want the best seats in the banqueting hall. That's our nature. But God, who is rich in mercy, keeps us together. He gives us the Lord's Supper to strengthen us in our faith, and to show us how we can get ready for the marriage feast. So, let's get ready for the celebration. That's our theme. And we'll look at two things this afternoon, what I am called to do, and secondly, what we are all called to do. The Lord's Supper, as a prelude to the marriage feast of the Lamb, is a feast of Christ's victory. We wouldn't be able to celebrate had Christ's redemptive work failed. If Jesus had not purchased the church to be his bride, if he had not bought the wedding dress for us, the wedding would have been called off. And that's what the Lord's Supper teaches us. It tells us every time, turn your attention To what has been accomplished for you through christ's one sacrifice on the cross and whether you will be going to the wedding is not determined by your righteousness or whether you are a moral person but entrance to the wedding is in the forgiveness of sins through christ's blood his death is the only ground for your salvation and your celebration. And so by the visible sign and pledge of the Lord's Supper, Christ wants to assure us that we're going to the wedding. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood, and we are so intimately tied to Christ that God, the Father, looks on us as if we ourselves had made payment for sin. The treasure of the Holy Supper is that sitting together at one table, we may remember that Christ's sacrifice has canceled our debt once for all. And it is a treasure indeed. The Lord Jesus has paid for all my sins and there is nothing left to be done for the reconciliation of our sins. Jesus has completed his earthly task and now he is in heaven to prepare the home for the wedding day. So the Lord's Supper is a gift from God provided to comfort us daily in our difficulties, in our worries, in our anxieties and sins. Christ changes our life from a desert into an oasis. For communion with Christ is a permanent one. At least that's what it should be. We may confess together, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all our sin. The Lord's Supper teaches us to redirect our thoughts Away from the works of the sinful nature. So that our thoughts and our minds are on the things that are above where Christ is. And so each of us must examine our hearts and ask, Is Christ the love of my life? Is the focus of my life on the wedding day? With our eyes focused on Jesus... We are to remember, we are to proclaim, and we are to discern the body of our Lord and examine our own thoughts, our motivations and activities. The Lord Jesus is in heaven, preparing a place where we can live forever and where the marriage feast can be celebrated. But what he is doing does not take away From our responsibility, by the grace of God, we too are to be active in preparation for the wedding day. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and then he said, Take, eat, this is my body. So those who participate, they reach out to take with the hand of faith. They remember, they believe. And the hand with which we reach out to take of the bread and wine must rest in the palm of God's love. For at the Lord's Supper, We do not declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. Everything in the Lord's Supper points to Christ and the salvation that we have in him. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, we are to examine ourselves. And that self-examination involves a testing. In Luke 14, verse 19 passage that we read Jesus tells a parable and in that parable he uses the word the apostle Paul uses for self-examination in connection with the Lord's Supper. Jesus tells of a certain man who gave a great supper or banquet and he invited many but they all came with their excuses why they couldn't come. And one of these people said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. The man wanted to test his oxen to see if they were acting in the manner in which they were supposed to. Well, that is what self-examination is all about. Everyone who comes to the Lord's Supper must put his life under the scrutiny of God's word to test whether he or she serves the Lord with a true faith, whether he does so with a fervent hope and an ardent love. So the test of true self-examination is always about Christ. It brings me to my knees and makes me ask the question, am I truly walking in such a manner that reflects that I lean on the Lord Jesus and on him alone? Do I believe that no good thing will come forth from my sinful heart, but that all my deliverance has come to me from God alone? Do I acknowledge that the perfect sacrifice of Christ, which he made once for all, is my salvation, my righteousness, my holiness before God? If I test my motivations in this way, then I will know my own unworthiness and my sins will truly bother me and I will want to walk the way of faith, hope, and love. And if that is not my attitude, I will eat and drink judgment upon myself. Because then I'm not acting like one for whom Christ died. I am not acting like one who is getting ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb. So this is it. I am responsible for the way I live as a member of the church and how I come to the table of the Lord. I do not come to celebrate and in order to show the greatness and the power of my faith. But I celebrate in faith, in hope, with love, knowing that I am not worthy, but that I have been made worthy, a worthy partaker through the blood of the Lamb. So the purpose of self-examination is not to see whether we have everything straight. If that were the reason, none of us could ever go. And it would sow seeds of doubt in the hearts of true believers. But if we take that route, we are not really examining ourselves anymore, but we are examining and testing God We doubt the sincerity and the reliability of his word. Beloved, let each of us realize this for him or herself. I am unable to make myself worthy of coming to the Lord's Supper by putting in a good performance. I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so it is pure grace, undeserved favor, that I may receive the forgiveness of sins. I'm not admitted to the Lord's Supper on the condition that I have reached a a certain and specific level of holiness or that my spiritual understanding is superior to that of others. Such conditions are man-made. And they reek, they reek of religious arrogance. The invitation to the table is for sinners, for people who are lost, but who are declared righteous in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. None of us can stand before the Lord on our own. We need the atonement the sin-forgiving grace of the Lord. And the Lord's Supper assures us that that has happened. Jesus Christ covers our sins in God's sight. If we do not find refuge in Jesus by a true and living faith, that's when there's no hope, and we will eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Our whole life, all our talk, all our efforts, whatever we might veil under a religious cloak is worthless outside of Christ. So you see, the all-important question of self-examination is, Do I believe in Jesus as my Savior? And when my heart is filled with the love of the Lord, I will want to be part of the feast where Jesus shows all that he has done for me, a sinner. And I will be careful how I speak about others because with the Apostle Paul, I realize my own unworthiness to be a member of Christ's flock. And by the same token, I must also realize that if such love does not fill my heart and I continue living in sin, then I have no part in the blessings of the covenant. Then I am trying to get into the wedding hall without a proper wedding garment. And Christ will say, you don't have your wedding garment. You're not properly dressed for the celebration. The office bearers in the congregation of God's people, as those who are called to watch over our souls, are to see to it that all the members are living as those preparing for the feast and so they must encourage all the members to look to Christ and how he clothes us with the gorgeous garment of his righteousness and they are to warn those who are living in unbelief that they cannot go into the banqueting hall if they do not repent or amend their ways And this is why the who are to come of question 81 is followed by who are to be admitted, question 82. And with that, we also come to our second point. The elders are to guard the holiness of the table of the Lord to the best of their ability. For not only the individual comes under the wrath of God, but the whole congregation, if someone is living in sin and nothing is done about it, God seeks the obedience of the entire people. We are one body. Now, it used to be quite common in Presbyterian churches that the Sunday prior to the Lord's Supper, the elders gave tokens to members of the congregation who were considered to be in good standing. And these were handed back to the elders as people came to celebrate. And if you did not have a token, you weren't allowed to attend. This method was used in an effort to guard the holiness of the table. And we have a similar system with our practice of attestations to guard against unworthy participation. Now, although these are commendable ways of guarding the table of the Lord, there are two dangers that we need to guard against. The first is that if we judge people by their outward appearance, this can lead to the production of an overemphasis on outward behavior. Members begin to live just good enough so that they don't get in trouble with the elders. And when they need it, they can receive that attestation. And little attention is paid to the whole matter of self-examination. To others, such members look nice, decent, godly people. But what's in their hearts? Are they living for the glory of God from the heart? We're able to attend as long as we know how to say all the right things and give all the right answers at the right time. We make sure everything looks good on the outside. But in the meantime, let God's truth fall to the wayside. We may have our heads filled with knowledge of Scripture, impressive knowledge, and of the Reformed confessions. But in the meantime, walk around with a heart that is colder than the Canadian winter of 2014. And the only sound coming from us is the occasional frost quake. Because the living waters of the word of God are seeping into the cold and frozen ground of unconverted hearts. And the second danger is that we begin to become too harsh. In what we demand of ourselves and of all those who come to the table we no longer follow what the Lord Jesus requires who said come to me and find rest for your souls take remember belief but we start demanding perfection based on our own standards Brothers and sisters, entrance to the marriage feast is not on the basis of a token or an attestation, but the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper, the work of the Lord Jesus for sinners. We all know that true Christians sin, and they sin miserably. We stumble and we fall and we need correction and we need repentance in our lives. And no one can come to the Lord's Supper and say, oh wow, look at me now. Look at what a good person I am. We come because we are truly displeased with ourselves because of our sins. We come because we trust That our sins are covered and our remaining weaknesses are covered by the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, at the same time, we realize that the table of the Lord needs to be safeguarded by church discipline against the unbelieving and ungodly. And the unbelieving are those who reject the claim of the gospel. Usually, they have grown up in the church, but they reject God's claim upon them because there is something in their life that has gained greater importance. The ungodly are those members of the church whose entire lifestyle is deliberately contrary to the will of God. And the church is supposed to exclude these unbelieving and ungodly members from the Lord's table. And let it be clear again that the elders are to exclude those who are unbelieving and ungodly and not those who could improve the way they live or what they think or how they keep the commandments of the Lord. The elders may not become busybodies, looking for something to condemn. If that were the criteria, the table would always be empty and we couldn't get ourselves very excited about the marriage feast of the Lamb. For you will always find something in every person's life that's wrong. But please, let's leave that to the judgment of the Lord. The office bearers who are called to be watchmen, the guardians of your souls, are also called to be the guard for an improper celebration when there is a direct violation of what the Lord requires of us, and they will have to do so as men who will have to give account to the Lord, and that's why we must honor their judgments. For as Jesus said, whatever they bind on earth shall be bound on in heaven, and whatever they loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the process of barring from the table is not a trivial matter. It may not be taken lightly or implemented with haste. Brothers and sisters, God seeks the obedience of the entire people. And we're all implicated in the sins of others. If a member shows hardness of heart and lives in sin, the church must act. And as we mentioned this morning, such discipline does not begin with the consistory, but with the mutual discipline that takes place among each other. The next Lord's Day, Lord's Day 31, addresses this in greater detail but we can already conclude that we all have a responsibility to go to those who are living in sin and to call them back to the ways of the Lord so that they can continue sitting with us in communion at the table of the Lord. So that we can live in the assurance that they too are preparing themselves for the celebration. We all have a responsibility, even if the sin is of a public nature. Too often we try to wash our hands clean from mutual responsibility, don't we? And then it's easy for us to say, well, there's no discipline in this church, because the consistory does not act as quickly as we would like them to do. Well, we can all think of reasons why We don't need to do such things. We don't know the person so well, we will say. Or we write the person off as a bit of a loser anyway. Or we don't want to interfere with the consistory and what they are doing. But those are excuses. And isn't it amazing that on the one hand we will say, well, I don't know the person so well. But we do know them well enough to do our fair share of gossiping. Beloved, we are to warn one another, not as if we are enemies, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, because we desire to sit together in communion as a foretaste of what is to come. And if you are not concerned enough to go and speak to those who are straying, you're suggesting that you only care about yourself. And really, don't give a rip if the person who is straying is at the wedding feast. Let us at all times be filled with concern, first of all for ourselves. we're in a right relationship with God but then for fellow members that they too remain faithful boys and girls and teenagers if you really care about your friends you will speak to them if you see them going down a wrong path and don't worry about being ostracized Push to the outside of your circle of friends. But be concerned about being faithful to Jesus. So let us examine ourselves and so participate in the meal of covenant communion prepared for us by God. Encourage one another in the Lord. Warn those who are not living in a Christian manner. Speak the truth in love. Pray for the office bearers who are called to supervise the congregation that they may be given the wisdom and the courage to take care of the flock. Support the elders in their task so that they may do their work with joy. Make it your aim to please God so that every time you are invited to the supper of our Lord, you may also be permitted to go And in this way, look forward with great joy to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, come, let us worship Jesus, who is the church's one foundation. And let's get ready for the celebration. No one knows the day or moment when the bridegroom will appear. Let us then be ever watchful. May our lamps be bright and clear. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Your great day is drawing near. Amen.